Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you today. Today we're wrapping up our sermon series that we've been in for the last several weeks called Letters to the Churches. We're going to be looking at the church of Laodicea today. When I think of uh, the church of Laodicea, I think about a vacation that my wife Cheryl and I took uh, many years ago with some friends down uh, to the Lake of the Ozarks. And one day we decided to go on a sightseeing tour of the lake. My buddy has a really nice boat, so he was going to take us around the shoreline uh, of the Lake of the Ozarks to look at all these fabulous homes, and there were many. We saw where Jimmy John, the uh, sandwich tycoon, had a beautiful home down there. We saw where Brad Pitt's uh, mom and dad lived. I was told that uh, he bought them a mansion on the lake. We saw house after house that were just unbelievably beautiful. I mean, it was amazing. These people looked so rich. Um, then my buddy pulls up to this big, huge dock um, that's set behind this huge house, bigger than any other house we've seen on the lake so far. It looked like it was brand new, three stories tall, balconies on the second and third level, uh, beautiful terraced backyard, stone landscaping everywhere. And my buddy said, this house is for sale. They've got an open house. Let's go through it. So we thought, well, why not? So we went around to the front door, and the realtor had a sign beside the front door that said, uh, admission, $100 per person. Yeah, $100 just to go through the house, wasn't for a group, but for each person. I looked at my wife, and Cheryl looked at me, and uh, we're out of here. Well, my buddy wanted us to go through this so bad. He says, you won't believe it. You've got to go through this. He forked out the 100 bucks for us, and we went through it, and he was right. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was unbelievable. The marble fo floors were beautiful. I mean, there were huge windows that gave you this panoramic view of the entire lake. There were these huge staircases, beautiful staircases throughout the home, bathrooms that looked like they were uh, built for a king. Uh, the kids' room even had a basketball goal in it with a hardwood basketball floor. They had a theater room, a music room, and every patio and balcony had its own kitchen, had its own whirlpool, its big flat-screen TV, had its own private bar. I mean, it was breathtaking how rich and luxurious this home was. I thought to myself, I couldn't afford to have or build one uh, room in this house. And I think there was a price tag of like $8.5 million on the home. But I said all that to say this is kind of like the houses of Laodicea. They were a very rich, wealthy community. It's the last church we're going to be talking about, as I mentioned. And when you consider the time period of these cities and when these churches would have been, it was 2,000 plus years ago. Remember, Jesus also lived 2,000 plus years ago. Think about the house that he grew up in. I'm sure it wasn't anything like that. It was a pretty humble house, a few hundred square feet. Archaeologists have discovered that in that few hundred square feet, they also shared part of that space with their animals. Then compare it to the houses in Laodicea. These houses were several thousand square feet, top of the line. Excavation also was revealed in Laodicea that there were these ancient pipes. So they had plumbing. They had water that was piped into their house. Think about it. 2,000 plus years ago, they had indoor plumbing. Indoor access to water. That's a pretty developed city. Another amazing thing about Laodicea, it was built on a high plain. And when you think about these people, it's kind of like they're looking down their snooty noses at everyone else, at all the other cities. Yeah, they were rich. In fact, so rich, I heard that uh, this city had been destroyed twice by earthquakes. 
And instead of having to go get a loan to rebuild their entire city, the people just coughed up the money themselves, built it back bigger and better than it ever was before. So they were rich, filthy rich. Laodicea, high and elevated above everyone else. They kind of had the penthouse view, looking down on everybody. They were the rich, prosperous, and you might say powerful city of all the cities. They had the best food, they had the best drinks, they had the best entertainment, and they definitely lived in the biggest houses. So Laodicea is the gated community of the day. I can just see Robin Leach, remember him, doing a special on the lifestyles of the rich and famous there. Some of you are too young to remember that, okay? Maybe it's MTV showing you an episode of Houses on Cribs. Anyway, that's Laodicea, the last church we're going to be talking about today. And remember, John is on the Isle of Patmos when Jesus is dictating these letters to John to be sent out to these seven churches. Well, let's see what Jesus says to this church today. It starts out in Revelation 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Some translations say, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Look at verse 17. You say I am, a, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. Let me reread that. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But look what Jesus says to this church. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow, you wouldn't want to put that on your Match.com site, right? A little harsh. He goes on in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you've been here for this series, think about how Jesus starts out the letters to all the other churches. He starts out with some words of uh, encouragement. Not with this church. There's no words of encouragement at all. And some of you probably heard this old saying that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. We've probably heard that, right? Well, if you don't have anything nice to say, maybe the most loving thing to say is the truth. The most loving thing that we can say is the truth. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do for this church. He's saying, church, this is unacceptable behavior. He's saying, you're going down a road that isn't glorifying God and is not pleasing to God. And I'm only telling this, this, Jesus says, because I love you. And I'm not going to encourage your lifestyle, but I am going to encourage you to come to me and change your lifestyle. So today we're actually going to look at several rebukes that uh, Jesus gives this church. And these rebukes or corrections are kind of surprisingly the areas that this church seems to be actually prospering the most. Every single area that this city prides itself in is an area that Jesus attacks. 
He throws punch after punch. And the first punch he throws at this church is something that most of us equate with this church. Um, sometimes it's the only point that we pick out from this church is that they are lukewarm. This church is lukewarm. How many coffee drinkers do I have in the house? Does, anybody? Anybody a coffee drinker? I love my coffee, but it has to be hot. I love to have like a couple cups in the morning to get me going, but it has to be hot. I don't see how anybody can drink that iced coffee stuff. If you're drinking iced coffee, you need Jesus. I'll just say that. There's got to be a scripture in the Bible for that somewhere. But when I drink my coffee, I want it to be hot. Maybe not McDonald's hot because that'll burn your gums. But there's nothing worse than taking a big old swig of coffee and thinking it's going to be hot and it turns out to be barely warm because it's disgusting. I can hardly swallow it. I want to spit it out. I want my hot tea hot. I want my cold tea cold. Lukewarm, no thank you. You can have that. Well, that's how Jesus sees this church of Laodicea. Lukewarm. Just lukewarm. He's using an imagery of here what this church is already doing, something that's already happening in Laodicea. This advanced city has found a way. Remember, it's a high elevated city. They found a way to bring water up to that city from uh, hot springs and from cold springs from miles away. They're bringing hot water from hot springs, cold water from cold springs, but by the time it gets to the city, it intermixes with all the other uh, water in the pipes, and it's not hot nor cold. It's just lukewarm. So think about it. These natural springs that started out boiling hot or ice cold are useless. That's one of the biggest complaints of the Laodiceans. Well, Jesus knows they already know about this problem, so he says something that ties right in spiritually. Jesus basically says, you know every morning when you get up, and you don't have hot water to make your coffee or your hot tea or whatever else you enjoy. And you put it in your mouth and you're disappointed. You're frustrated. You're complaining. It's not what you thought it would be. He says, your church is a whole lot like that to me. It's just lukewarm. It's not hot. And this heat uh, is used as, uh, to represent something here. It's representing their passion their enthusiasm, their excitement, their devotion, or, and their commitment, or I'll say lack of. Jesus is saying, you're just lukewarm. That's all you are. And if you don't repent, he uses some pretty harsh words. He says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I think he's really just trying to tell them what it's like to be on his side of things, what it's like to be their God. Think about this. A person who's not hot for God I guarantee you, they're not passionate for God or for the things of God. They're just lukewarm. You might say they're indifferent toward the things of God. There's no real passion going on in their life. So I want to ask you a question right now. What are the things that keep you from being hot for God in your life? Maybe some of you are in a dating relationship right now that you really want to be hot for God, but the person you're dating is uh, icy cold or lukewarm. Maybe you, uh, the best thing for that whole situation, is an ex-relationship. I think we need to stop long enough and take a good look at the people and things that keep us from being hot for God because they're everywhere. I mean, what's keeping you from being on fire for God? Could it be your reputation? You're worried about that more than anything else? Your career, your job, your comfort, your uh, entertainment, whatever it might be, there's all sorts of things. But I just want you to zone in and take a good hard look at what you put before God this week alone. Has, let, has that led to anything 
uh, in your life becoming a little bit lukewarm when it comes to your walk with God? Well, Jesus says if it does, He says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I hate to say it, but He says, you're disgusting to me, nauseating. Pretty harsh words again from Jesus. Look at the second rebuke. Jesus says, you are poor, which is kind of crazy because He's addressing this very wealthy church and He's calling these people out and He's saying, no, you're poor. Jesus is looking at these people. I can just imagine this pastor getting this letter uh, from John that says, read this to your congregation. And this pastor is standing before that congregation and he's looking at all these wealthy, affluent people, and he puts a little disclaimer there saying, hey, guys, remember, this is Jesus talking, not me. But Jesus says, you guys are skid row poor. I would imagine they're, they're like, say what? You must have the wrong letter uh, to the wrong church. Somebody must have messed up the address because this is not us because we are a very rich and wealthy church. We're not poor. These people not only had large homes, they had vacation homes. And they didn't have to do a lot of work because they had servants to do all the work. And every business in town was a business that they already owned. It already belonged to them. Well, Jesus shows up, shakes things up again. He says, you guys may look materially rich, but you're spiritually poor. Jesus says, there's no real growth. There's no real life. There's no real health in your soul. Yeah, your pockets might be full, but your heart's empty because you're poor. The truth is, if you want to please God, you have to love the same kind of people that God loves, and that's everybody. You have to care enough about their spiritual well-being. You have to care enough about your own well, spiritual well-being, enough that you're willing to do anything it takes this side of eternity to get those people saved. You know, we can't wait around for other people to do it because Jesus is calling us. Amen? Don't wait for other people to answer because He's waiting for you and me to step up and be the answer. The third point is, third rebuke, Jesus says, you are naked. Some people say naked, if you're from the South. Who's ever watched an episode of Naked and Afraid? Anybody? Yeah, me neither. No, I'm just kidding. I have, and it's, it's terrible and interesting at the same time. Yeah, it's like a bad accident. You know you're not supposed to look, but you just have to, right? And for the record, for those of you that haven't seen it, they blot out all the body parts for the TV. But I do remember one time we were in Florida on a vacation walking along the beach. I felt like I was in an episode of Naked and Afraid because they were naked and I was afraid. Just saying. My mind kept saying, eyes on the sand, eyes on the sand. Anyway, if you know what this show is like, they put these people out on a deserted island or a remote place away from anything and everything. They have nothing. No electricity, no blankets, no shoes, no clothing, Nothing, and they have to survive on their own for 21 days. Oh, they might let them bring one or two things. A lot of times they'll bring a knife or they'll bring a little fire starter, which usually doesn't work all that well. But these people face extreme cold, extreme hot. Mosquitoes and bugs are tearing them up because they're not protected. Their feet are torn up because they have no shoes. During these 21 days, these people are nothing but miserable. Think about it. When you're naked and you're weakened, you're at your most vulnerable place. Well, Jesus knows that about these Laodiceans. He says you're naked. These Laodiceans might have thought that they were st strong, but Jesus saw right through it. Another reason these people were so wealthy is partly because of their textile industry. They had a big textile industry. 
and especially because of some special black wool that they made from a certain type of sheep that they had. And this wool was the type of wool that only made the finest garments. It was, you might say, the Armani of their day or the polo of their day. Here at Victory Church, it would be the Carhartt of our day. Not Sears brand, but Carhartt. But they spun this wool to make clothes, and everybody wanted it because it was so rare. And the Laodiceans, they made this clothing, so they wore it around all the time, paraded through the city basically to show, hey, look at me how rich I am. Jesus comes along and says, even though you are physically clothed and make the finest and most expensive garments out there, he says, I see you as spiritually naked. Just goes to show you, like the Word of God says, man's always going to look on the outside. But Jesus looks on the heart. Jesus looks at what's going on on the inside of us. I mean, it shows you that we can look rich, powerful, successful. We can look very educated, but we can be spiritually poor, blind, naked. Not growing, not loving God, just growing lukewarm in the things of God. And that's all because nothing is hidden from God. He sees it all. He sees what's in our hearts. What's in your heart today? The fourth rebuke, you are blind. I didn't really realize this until I researched it a little bit, but this is really another uppercut, another punch from Jesus toward this church because this city was also known for a special salve that they made when people had eye problems, visual problems, even physical blindness. They would come to Laodicea to get this special salve and they would apply it to their eyes and their eyes would be cured. So people would come from miles away to be cured of their physical blindness. Well, Jesus says, isn't it ironic that in an area where there is constant healing, where you're known for curing visual blindness, that there is still so much spiritual blindness? When it comes down to it, these people have basically closed their eyes to Jesus. They've closed their eyes to the fact that they are sinners and that they need a Savior. These people have, a, have no problem at all of being self-sufficient. They're not relying on a Savior. They don't need God because they've got everything they need. They're doing fine without Him. They've got all the finest medicines, the clothing, the shelter, the security, the money. They're in need of nothing. You know something sad to say that sounds like our world today? Maybe that's why so many Americans are turning away. So many people of the world are turning away from God. I think in reality this letter could be sent to Victory Church even today could be sent to every church in America because we have so much that we become way too satisfied with the things of this world. You know, our eyes are no longer filled and focused upon Christ. Our hearts aren't filled and focused upon Christ. We're focused on influence, power, money, security more than we are on anything concerning Christ so much of the time. Our hearts don't understand, I think, real desperation for God until we get to that place where we're actually broken. And sad to say, a lot of times, we don't show up on a Sunday morning with an expectant faith or with a repentant heart. We're not hungry for Jesus because we're too satisfied with the things of this world. So how do we go from being lukewarm to the point where Jesus literally wants to vomit us out of his mouth? Look at verse 19. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. Let me ask you a question. How many people love discipline? Yeah, nobody, right? None of us love discipline. In fact, I could say we hate discipline. 
And I'd say the uh, biggest reason for that is in mo- that most of us are in positions where uh, nobody ever really gets to discipline us because we consider ourselves the adult in the room, not the child. And since we're the adult, we think nobody really has the right to point their finger in my face or put it on my chest and say, hey, you know, I really do love you, but I love you enough to tell you that I think what you're doing over there is a problem. Well, Jesus says it is. Jesus says if somebody really loves you, they're going to discipline you. If someone really loves you, they're going to correct you. They're going to point out all the flaws in your life, but they're going to do it in a way that will encourage you to change. That's exactly what Jesus is trying to do for that church. That's what he's trying to do for us, church. The only thing that's going to change us from our lukewarmness over to being on fire for God is what's found in verse 19. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Catch this next part. So be earnest and repent. There it is. That's the key, repentance. And he goes on in verse 20. Here I am, he says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So it's all about repentance. Repentance is having a change of mind that leads to a change of direction that eventually leads to a change of life. And the Bible uh, has a lot to say about repentance. It talks about repentance over and over and over again. Repentance is not something that you do just once when you first become a Christian. No, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing series of moments. I'll say every day when we realize that what we're doing or how we're behaving is wrong. So then we have a change of mind that leads to a change of heart, that leads to a change of direction, that eventually leads to a changed life that comes from repentance. I love what it says in 2 Chronicles. It says, If my people who are called by my name, he's addressing Christians here, specifically Christians, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, there's repentance right there. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land or heal their land. Martin Luther once said this. He said, if you stop repenting, you'll start growing lukewarm. That's a big idea. He says, if you're always right, always defending yourself, always blaming others, always judging others without judging yourself, always excusing yourself, overlooking your errors or your follies, your faults and flaws and failures in your life, that's how you become lukewarm. But the way you stay hot for God is the opposite. It comes through repentance. That's when we turn away from our sin and we come back to Jesus. I want to read verse 20 again. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I want you to picture just for a moment Jesus standing outside that door of that church in Laodicea. He's knocking on their door. They hear him knock. They go to the door of their church and they open just the peep sight. And they say, who is it? And Jesus says, it's me. And they say through the door, we can't let you in, Jesus, because you'll make us repent. We can't let you in, Jesus, because you tell us what we're doing is wrong. Then you're going to tell us to give our money, give our time, give our effort. 
Why should we do that, Jesus? We've got a nice show, social club going on here. Everything's going good. We've got some very important people here. We've got some very smart people here. They've got degrees. Uh, they've got uh, golden wheels on their chariots. And really, Jesus, when it comes down to it, none of them really want to hear what you have to say. So we're going to deadbolt the door. We'll see you after church. The truth is, this message is not just for the church of Laodicea. It's for every church. It's for every life. It's for every heart. And these are the same people that one day are going to stand before God once again. They're going to look into His holy face. And they're going to ask to enter into His kingdom. But He's going to look at them and He's going to say, Depart, depart from me. I never knew you. And He's going to close that door. People, it's going to be too late. That door is going to be closed forever. Don't let that happen today. Open your heart. Open the door and let Jesus come in. I don't want to hear, or any of you to hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. I want to hear him say, come on in. Church, we can't let that happen. Eternity is at stake. Some people say, Pastor, you preach too much about Jesus. No, I don't. You can never preach enough about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The hope for people is Jesus. The help for people is Jesus. The healing for people is Jesus. And when it comes to Christianity, it's just not a lifestyle. It's just not a social club or a way of living uh, that's moral and upright. No, it's coming to Jesus. Getting honest with Jesus. Having a meeting with Him. Letting Him take away your sins. Letting Him give you His righteousness. Filling you with His Holy Spirit so that you can genuinely be on fire for God. That's what God wants. And by the grace of God, He can help us to become more and more like Jesus every day. I want that for myself and church. I want that for you. I want that for everyone that's watching today. That we get a whole lot more of God living on the inside of us. Amen. Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father, we thank You that You love us enough to tell us the truth. We thank You, Lord God, that You don't lie to us, that You're not a pretender. You're not a flatterer. You're not an enabler. God, instead, You are a Savior. You're the one that loves us enough to be honest with us. And if you're out there today, and as I was speaking, there was different areas popping into your mind. Maybe something that you've been putting before God. That's the Holy Spirit putting His finger on your heart. and He's just saying, hey, let's deal with this. He's saying, let me help you with this. Let me help you get your priorities in order. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are such a good, good God. We thank You that not only did You know what's going on in that church of Laodicea, You know what's going on in our churches today. You know what's going on in our hearts today. Father, I pray for every church that's preaching the gospel of Christ. I pray for every church leader that's preaching the gospel of Christ. I pray that they would become on fire for God. And I want to start with me. I pray that my heart would become more on fire for you. I pray that congregations would become more on fire for you. Father, help us to step out of being satisfied with the world and step away from being lukewarm and get on fire for you today and forever. We love you. We praise you. We give you the glory. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everyone said, Amen.
God bless you all. Thank you for being with us. Have a wonderful week.